Chinese firms and 12 nationals all sanctioned by Washington to combat the illegal fentanyl trade. Global fentanyl supply chain often starts with chemical companies in China. Is China planting illegal drug farms on U.S. soil? But Oklahoma has been the epicenter on that. A look at how Chinese crime groups may be ushering a wave of violence on American soil. A power source serving the Pacific under Beijing's control. Why is China's latest move in Peru sparking fears in the West? And an embrace between two Chinese sports stars has vanished from China's internet. What makes this celebratory photo such a sensitive subject for Beijing? Welcome to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Eight firms and 12 nationals. That's how many the U.S. sanctioned on Tuesday in a sweeping action to fight the fentanyl trade. It's one of the biggest actions the Biden administration has taken against trafficking of the illegal drug. Let's zoom in. The eight indictments charge eight China-based companies and 12 employees with crimes relating to fentanyl and meth production. Distribution of synthetic opioids and sales resulting from precursor chemicals. Federal prosecutors accused some Chinese companies of shipping chemicals used to make fentanyl to the U.S. and Mexican drug cartels under fake labels. None of the defendants have been arrested so far. The Treasury Department also said it imposed sanctions on 28 people and entities involved, including a large China-based network. And we know that this global fentanyl supply chain which ends with the deaths of Americans, often starts with chemical companies in China. I have ordered my colleagues at the Treasury Department to expand our targeting approach to include the friends, family members, and affiliates of criminals that benefit from the sale of these drugs. If you benefit from the proceeds of these illicit activities, we're going to come after your assets. Fentanyl is the deadliest drug in the U.S. today. The CDC says drug overdose deaths have increased more than sevenfold from 2015 to 2021. More than 100,000 deaths a year have been linked to drug overdoses since 2020, and about two-thirds of them are related to fentanyl. In a related update, brazen drug use in broad daylight and a record number of overdose deaths. A drug crisis is hitting San Francisco hard, with an average of five overdose deaths every two days in August. Among those who died, nearly 80 percent tested positive for fentanyl. U.S. officials say most of it trafficked into America comes from China. NTD's David Jang spoke to San Francisco-based reporter Jason Blair for more. Jason, thanks for joining us today. You have been reporting on crime and drugs from San Francisco for quite some time now. Could you please break down the situation in San Francisco for us? What are the levels of drug overdose? Yes, yeah, so drug overdose has been a hot topic lately, unfortunately. This past August, there has been 84 overdoses recorded, which is a record high tying January this year uh, for overdose deaths in the city. Um, so far, 2023 is looking like it's going to be the deadliest year so far since records have been uh, kept since 2020. 2020 had a pretty high rate of overdose deaths with about 720. And people are saying if things continue as they are now in 2023, it's going to get up into the 800s. So why is the problem getting worse despite all the public and media attention have been paid to this crisis? The fentanyl is being made in China, uh, going through the cartels through Mexico. So it's just a factor of how much is actually coming into the city. Then there's the factor of how are 
the drug dealers being held accountable. Over one million acres of Oklahoma farmland owned by foreign entities and groups from nations like China are, quote, 100 percent using the land to grow drugs. That's according to Oklahoma Senator James Lankford. But Oklahoma has been the ep epicenter on that. Enticed by cheap land prices, Chinese organized crime groups are buying up farms in Oklahoma to grow and illegally sell marijuana. And that number of farms has skyrocketed. We have uh, seen over and over again individuals that have uh, come across our southern border illegally that are Chinese nationals that end up in the marijuana farms and they're working off their debt, literally being moved from farm to farm to farm. Oklahoma currently has over 6,000 licensed marijuana farms. Authorities believe that one-third of them have connections to China. More than 800 illegal farms have already been shut down in recent years, and roughly 75 percent are linked to China. The senator says the operations have brought a new wave of violent crime to the state. It has also led to a tremendous amount of human trafficking and sex trafficking. Now, Langford is pushing for a new bill called the Soil Act. It aims to limit and tighten oversight on foreign countries buying land in Oklahoma. But Chinese crime groups are said to be eyeing other states, too. If that's happening in Oklahoma, what is happening in the rest of the nation? According to authorities, China's presence can be found at illegal grows in Oklahoma, California and Oregon. The ramp up of Chinese funded drug cultivation has caught the attention of legislators, specifically whether the money is coming from groups with connections to the Chinese Communist Party. A senior fellow at the Brookings Institution told Politico that the CCP has a complex link to organized crime noting the triads often curry favor with the CCP by functioning as its off-the-books enforcers. The regime, in turn, turns a blind eye to their operations, but without direct control of them. China's military foothold inching closer to the United States. What key choke points has China taken control of in Latin America? And a look at Washington's latest concerns about Chinese moves in Peru. NTD's Juliet Song has the story. An alert from Washington. The U.S. has reportedly raised concerns with Peru about Chinese control of its critical infrastructure. A single Chinese company provides electricity to half of the population in Lima, Peru's capital. Another Chinese company is waiting to buy control of the other half. The deal is now waiting for approval. But it's not just electricity. Chinese shipping company Costco has a 60% stake in Chiangkai, a deep water port that can host both military and commercial ships. That's according to a report from the Financial Times. NTD has reached out to the State Department for comment, but did not hear back before airtime. Chinese influence in Peru is just one thorn in the side of U.S. security. Senator, what, um, what I would like to mention uh, are my two greatest concerns strategically, and that's with the Panama Canal, the projects that the Chinese have around the Panama Canal, which is uh, a strategic line of communication that we want to keep free and open for the global economy, but also for our global uh, war plans. The Panama Canal is one of the world's most important waterways. About 6% of global trade passes through its waters. China has been eyeing control in the area. Hong Kong-based companies run ports on either side of the canal. 
And the Chinese regime has poured billions into Panama's infrastructure, security, and telecommunication systems. Also, the Straits of Magellan down around the tip of the southern cone from Argentina. Uh, and the uh, presence of China and projects and things like that. And uh, so that's what uh, bothers me most, are those two strategic global lines of communication areas that uh, the Chinese have projects in and around those areas. China plans to build a port near the Strait of Magellan. If realized, it would give Beijing influence over the vital passageway connecting the Atlantic and Pacific Oceans. It would also give Beijing closer access to Antarctica. China also runs a space station in Argentina. And the U.S. military is concerned it could be used to collect intelligence on U.S. military satellites. Up north, China has been pushing to build a deep water port in El Salvador. And even further north, a Chinese spy base has been up and running in Cuba for years, just 100 miles from Florida. Zooming out, China has shown a big interest in Latin America. Chinese port calls increased by 70 percent from 2014 to 2019. And a high-level U.S. military officer warned that China could use its control of deep water ports to support global military deployments. Juliet Song, NTD News. Sportsmanship or censorship? A snapshot of a hug between two celebrating athletes of the Asian Games scrubbed from the Chinese internet. This photo was taken just after Ling Yiwei won gold during the 100-meter hurdles final. She's seen embracing fellow China athlete Wu Yinning. What makes the photo a sensitive one for Beijing? The image shows the two athletes' race numbers next to each other, combining to form 6-4. The digits are a common online reference to the 1989 Tiananmen Square massacre, which took place on June 4th. That day, the Chinese regime deployed troops and tanks to gun down crowds of unarmed students. They had gathered to ask for democracy and better access to education. References to it are blocked by Beijing's internet firewall. The race also happened on October 1st, when the Chinese Communist Party celebrates its founding. Internet censors are particularly strict during the National Day holiday and other occasions meant to highlight the party's rule. The image was quickly removed from popular Chinese social media Weibo, as well as search engine Beidou. Google is blocked in China. This year's Asian Games are happening in the Chinese city of Hangzhou and run through this Sunday. Fifty-five Chinese sailors reportedly died in the hands of Beijing's own trap. According to a leaked UK defense report picked up by the Daily Mail, a Chinese nuclear submarine hit an obstacle designed to ensnare U.S. and British vessels. The onboard oxygen system began to malfunction, poisoning the entire crew. Twenty-two officers, including the captain, are listed among the dead. The incident allegedly took place on August 21st during a mission in the Yellow Sea off the coast of China's Shandong province. Both China and Taiwan have denied all speculation about the incident. That's despite Chinese officials reportedly turning down international assistance when the tragedy occurred. Japan is calling on China to stop banning its seafood. The restrictions started in August when Japan started releasing treated radioactive wastewater from its crippled Fukushima nuclear plant. Now a second round of the U.N.-approved release is set to begin Thursday, despite China's seafood ban. Here's more. 
Japan is gearing up for another go of wastewater release. That's despite China's ban on all Japanese sea imports following the first batch. We're properly monitoring the actual numbers of seawater and marine products. They're below the measurement limit, so the safety is confirmed. Many countries understand that. Apparently, not all countries do. China has accused Japan of using the ocean like a sewer. Russia is reportedly considering following suit on its own seafood ban. And given its close ties to Beijing, the Solomon Islands prime minister joined China in denouncing Japan's water release. But Tokyo insists that the operation poses no risk. We are undecided whether to file a complaint about China's export ban to the WTO immediately. At any rate, we hope to find a resolution within the WTO framework. Japan's agriculture minister said this during a visit to Malaysia on Wednesday. Malaysia's agriculture minister said no restrictions will be put on Japanese fisheries, adding that no radioactive elements has been detected from the imports so far. Last month, Tokyo approved an emergency fund of over $140 million, all to help its exporters hit by China's ban. Yet according to U.S. Ambassador to Japan, Chinese boats are still catching fish off Japan's coast. On social media platform X, formerly Twitter, he shared photos of what he said were Chinese vessels fishing off Japan's coast on September 15th, post-China's seafood embargo from the same waters. Over in Europe, a new transparency report reveals Meta shut down thousands of social media accounts covertly run by China that were targeting the UK. It says the 8,000 Facebook and Instagram profiles were part of a network coordinated in Beijing. Meta tied the campaign to a group known as Spamouflage, also known as Dragon Bridge. It's been linked to Chinese law enforcement agencies. On top of covert networks backed by China, Meta also reported that two of the largest influence operations it had closed down were linked to Russia. Coming up, a warning echoes through the Pentagon's halls to Congress. The Defense Department is strapped for cash, as hefty shipments of weapons to Ukraine have depleted the U.S. arsenal. What does this financial squeeze mean for Taiwan security? And does Washington have a backup plan for a worst-case scenario? Plus, a focus on dialogue with China. U.S. senators are looking to meet with Chinese regime leader Xi Jinping next week. What should we make of this upcoming trip? We sat down with General Robert Spaulding, retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General and author of War Without Rules for details. More on that after the break, here on China in Focus. Welcome back to China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. Working to keep dialogue open following in the heels of the Biden administration, a batch of U.S. senators plan to visit Beijing. What's in store for the trip? And with the Pentagon feeling the financial pinch, what could the money shortage mean for Taiwan? We speak to General Robert Spaulding, retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General and author of War Without Rules, for more. General Spaulding, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you back on the show. Thank you. It's great to be back. Now, the Pentagon is warning Congress that they're running low on money. This is after sending a lot of weapons to Ukraine. We're saying the U.S. doesn't have enough to resupply ourselves. What does this mean in terms of Taiwan, potentially? Well, I think it, it definitely means that we are short weapons. We've been short weapons. We've gotten shorter weapons since the uh, Ukrainian war. And I think what you've seen at the same time is the Chinese ramping up operations uh, across the Taiwan Strait. So 
I don't think we're in a good position. It's too late now to really get in a good position. It really will take years to replenish the weapons. So I think there is a definitely, um, you know, the risk is that China would do an invasion when we just don't have the means to um, to really respond. And I think it's doubtful that we would respond anyway, just because of the uh, the likelihood of that of that escalating to the use of nuclear weapons. So not good uh, all the way around. And on that note, worst case scenario, what can the U.S. do to mitigate or lessen any of this? Well, I think the only thing that they can do is really to rely on nuclear weapons as the way that you deter China. You have to scare the Chinese Communist Party. You have to give them a credible reason to believe that the United States would respond um, if the Chinese invaded Taiwan. That's what we did. Uh, with the Soviet Union to prevent them from invading Western Europe, and it worked. And I think in order to prevent the same thing from happening in Taiwan, you're going to have to invoke that once again. Uh, the challenge is, is that we've gotten out of the habit of it. People think it's, uh, you know, very skeptically towards using nuclear weapons for deterrence. But quite frankly, that's really all we have right now. It does seem, especially with this administration, there's a lot of focus on dialogue. And actually, there's some senators who are planning to go to China next week, and they're hoping to speak with Chinese leader Xi Jinping. How should we read this upcoming visit? Well, it really is a joke. Uh, the Chinese Communist Party keep all foreigners at bay. Um, they allow themselves to be the one that, that wants to be coaxed into any negotiations. And that gives them incredible leverage. They can say, oh, you know, you have to really do the things that I want if you really want me to talk, rather than for forcing the Chinese Communist Party to come to the table because there's something that they need. This is negotiation 101 with the Chinese. You have to find a position of leverage, something that they want, and then you have to put pressure on them. Uh, if you want them to basically meet you halfway. Any attempt to do negotiation where you're going over there, essentially kowtowing to the Chinese Communist Party, you're not going to get anywhere because they have they feel no need to uh, meet you halfway. And it seems we're seeing more messages coming out of China, if you will. Recently, they just detained an executive from a U.S. firm, Kroll, inside China from leaving the country. Given that and some other ones with raids of U.S. companies inside China, how should we read the business environment in China right now? Well, it's really depressed. And the reason is, is because even though that there is these engagements or the attempted engagements by the United States and overtures by the Chinese in terms of relaxing visa restrictions, um, when you have the when you look at the totality of enforcement in China, you have other officials that are locking up um, uh, businessmen like this uh, Kroll executive. So I think overall what that leads to is profound uncertainty. And, the, and if there's one thing that business hates, it's uncertainty. Um, if you're going to do something and you do it and you notice and you notify it, um, they like that a lot better. But when you say one thing and then do another, which is essentially what's happening here, it really leads to a lot of uncertainty. And it's going to take a long time for the Chinese Communist Party to build back trust in their system. And so um, and I don't see it changing anytime soon because Xi Jinping has basically made a determination that he has to protect from national security vulnerabilities. And those national security vulnerabilities 
is really interrupting the business uh, that China's doing. And given that China is the world's second largest economy and how interwoven the global economies are, is that possible to decouple completely? It absolutely is. I mean, before um, you know, China entered the World Trade Organization, we were decoupled. Then we got decoupled. It is possible to decouple again. We were completely decoupled from the Soviet Union. You know, at that that time, the U.S. economy, its productivity, certainly its industrial base, was without peer. So, this process of rebuilding the country will be good economically. It will be provide economic opportunity for the American people. For all of our allies and partners that join in, it'll provide economic opportunity for their citizens. So I think overall, what you'll see is prosperity begin to rebloom here in the United States and around the free world for all those nations that say, hey, we're going to cut China out. They're they're breaking the rules. They're they're taking things. And instead of allowing them to do that, we're going to just keep them out and then invest in our own self, invest our technology, our talent, and our capital in our own nations. And I think what you'll see is a resurgence of the economic prosperity that is typical of Western liberal democracies. General Spalding, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. That's all for today's China in Focus. I'm Tiffany Meyer. If you have any feedback on the show or have something you'd like to see us cover, send us an email at chinainfocusntd.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for watching. See you tomorrow.